Hi, it's Joanna Oki here and welcome back to the Deal Room Podcast, proudly brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. Now, today we have on board Dan Levitus from Vision Brokers and Advisors to talk to us all about why 80% of businesses sell at the wrong time and what you can do about it. In this episode, we look obviously at this issue of timing in a sale and how you can work out the timing in terms of when it might be the best time to sell on when might not be. But we also so view this from the perspective of Dan's own experience. So we take a little bit of a step back and look at Dan's experience in selling his own business and where he really got this wrong and why he's learnt from it and how he now deals with this issue of timing in a sale with his clients in his broking business. We also take a look at the concept of due diligence and some of the mistakes that he sees accountants make in the financial due diligence of a business when they're acting on the buy side and actually holds some important lessons on the sell side as well. So without further ado, let's talk to Dan. Ladies and gentlemen, good evening. Are you ready? Okay, here we go. You're listening to The Deal Room Podcast. Join us as we bring you the inside scoop on business sales and acquisitions. Get across trends in the area and hear the industry's best recount their real-life tips, traps, and experiences. Now, here's your host, Joanna Oki. Dan, welcome on board. Thank you so much for having me, Joanna. I'm very excited to be here. I'm really excited to just talk about these topics because I think they're really important for business owners, sellers, buyers, and and certainly all the other professionals facilitating sales. I love to hear someone say they're excited about this topic because this is why I do this podcast. Like seriously, honestly, I'm really excited about this area. I love, I love this area of sales and acquisitions, like just the deal flow. And I just love talking to people who are excited about it as well. So, Look, Especially having some personal experiences for worse or better along the way, selling and buying businesses, it, it just... A lot of the topics we talk about today probably are um, somewhat personal to me as well, and, and I'll be really happy to share any of those experiences, some of them being negative. Um, but uh, it, it's it, it's great to speak with you, someone who's also just so passionate about about doing deals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And do you know what? Sometimes I find that that's what's missing. I mean, certainly when I talk to uh, other lawyers, I find there's, you know, quite often a lot of passion missing. But I find in this industry as well, quite often I just, you know, I meet with people and I'm like, oh, I don't feel the passion. But this is one area that, you know, you're in for a a long slog, I think, when you're selling a business or buying a business, right? So I think you just got to have a bit of a passion and drive to actually even see it through with energy still at the end. Like, I think that's one of the secrets, being the one who's got the most energy at the end that you can still, you know, ride your, you you know, how to make the deal right for you. But what's your thoughts? You're so right. You know, selling a business is hard. It is a real journey. And when you speak to someone who's sold a home and sold a business, they always say that the business is just 10 times harder. It's a different level of emotion because in your business, it's a different level of heart and soul, so to speak, because your business, you know, your home is private. Your business is on display permanently to the public or the customers and suppliers and staff and, and, and the whole ecosystem of the business 
interacts with. And everyone who's sold a home and a business will always say that selling a business is so much more emotional. And when there's that emotion, which is almost unavoidable for a buyer or seller in a sales process, it can be extremely challenging. So let's take that and and we'll come back to that concept. Maybe run us firstly, just really quickly through your background and where you are now. Hmm. So we started Vision Brokers and Advisors. When I say we, it's myself and my business partner. And we started Vision Vision Brokers and Advisors around uh, nine to 10 months ago. And prior to that, we'd had a, a, a lot of experience in buying and selling businesses and operating businesses as well. And we we saw a little bit of a gap in the market. We wanted to stay nice and boutique, but we saw a little bit of a gap in the market looking at all the other business brokerage firms out there. And so many of them do such a great job. And there's also a lot to learn from some of the other firms who perhaps you know haven't worked out some of the kinks yet. So we, in a sense, cherry-picked the areas of operating a business brokerage firm that we found worked and that we found didn't work. And we put together a system that was really just built on quite a simple model, but also efficiency. One of the areas that we really focused on, and we tried to automate the process as much as we could. A really good example of, and I don't mean to go off topic here, mm. it doesn't happen too much because, <laughs> but, but one of the, you'll have a look at, um, you know, Purple Bricks, for example, they really brought together probably one of the more automated systems that we've seen for selling residential property. I, I remember speaking to a number of property agents who were, were shaking in their boots a little bit. Others were phased. They, they backed themselves and they backed the need for a middleman to, to do a deal like that. When we tried to apply a similar kind of method to selling a business in our testing phase and we realised that the human touch of the facilitator just cannot be replaced. So our model was built on uh, uh, let's not focus on on volume. Let's focus on a highly intensive uh, process that is overseen step by step, uh, and and let's only focus on working at, on no more than ten clients uh, at a time per broker. And uh, so we f- find that that's been working very very well for us. Mm. And so when you started talking about that process, you you said that. You'd looked at what had worked and maybe what didn't work. Can you give us a bit of an oversight? What what are some of the things that you saw in the industry weren't working particularly well? One of the places, the most common place that a buyer will go to when they look at a business is they go to a series of websites. And there's around 10 or 12 of the most popular websites that advertise businesses for sale. And that's the primary place that anyone who's looking to buy a business will go. And they'll normally register to maybe one or two or three of these websites. The most important process that we found was the number of inquiries that you receive is really going to dictate how well the sale is going to go. The more inquiries that are received, the more buyers that are potentially qualified, the more buyers that are qualified, the more buyers that are receiving information on the business, the more buyers that receive information, the more chance that some of them will be interested and fast forward to the stages of making an offer, the better chance there is of having two or three or four buyers submitting offers around the same time. Mm. And that's that's really a really, really key point to make because there's no having buyers interested tactically and at the specific same time in the sales process 
is really how a vendor is able to, number one, sell their business, but also sell their business for the fair price and the most commercial viable terms. And normally for both parties. Um, if there's only one buyer interested in a business, well, the buyer will have all the leverage, will have the majority of the leverage. So the buyer is in a better position to be able to dictate the price and dictate the terms. So for us, the biggest thing that we really wanted to make sure for our, for our, our clients, who primarily are vendors, was that we were able to focus on generating the right marketing systems um, using the infrastructure that is available in Australia to create a, a, a situation where as many buyers are interested as possible. And that perhaps is one of the trade secrets that, that, that I won't go into too much detail. <laughs> well, that was going to be my next question. <laughs> You've just taken it from me. <laughs> Without going into too much detail, it's mm. highly labour-intensive to implement and to uh, oversee the system that we use, but mm. it is highly effective and, mm. uh, and, and it does generate amazing results. Mm, wow. Okay. All right. I love it. You've got us all intrigued, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> and so stepping back a bit, before you, you started working as a business broker, uh, I think you had a period with your own business, which, which ties in a little bit to the concept of timing um, in a sale. Can, can you maybe walk us through a bit of that story? Yeah, sure. So I'll start by saying the timing of the sale, which I think is the underlying topic of, of, of this podcast. Mm. Around 80% of business owners get wrong. They take their business to market when it is, it is not the most optimal time to do so. Normally, they take it a little bit too late to market. And I'll tell you a little bit of a story, I guess, about my experience at the time, my own naivety around what I used to do and how I really mucked up the timing of bringing that business to market. And it was a food retail business. It was one of um, my first businesses uh, around uh, 12 or 13 years ago. And the business was... I'd, I'd operated the business for two years. I'd built the business up. I was getting at that time around one walk-in person a week asking me directly if I'd sell the business to them. And at that time, the business was performing extremely well and your mindset as a business owner is that this is never going to end. <laughs> mm. The reality is it always does end. Every business will have some sort of upward cycle and down cycle. Long story short, I did open conversations with people who were interested in buying and I was getting offers um, over it was a fraction over double what I initially paid for the business two years earlier. But because the business was performing so well, I was really just entertaining the offers. I wasn't mm. thinking about it. And the business traded like that for another couple of years and it continued to grow. I started to see a lot of new competitors come into the market. And I knew that we had a really great foundation in its competitive environment anyway. But at the end of the day, there was really not that much that we could do to compete with just the sheer amount of new competitors and the sheer amount of customers that were available to all of us in this industry. Very, very gradually, and this took around three years, the business started to decline. This is the other key mindset of a business owner is they always see, quite naively, perhaps a light at the tunnel. I'll try this new method. I'll try this new whatever it is. And they hang on to a, to ultimately a different reality. And they hang on to the business's former performance, thinking that it can achieve 
that at some point in the future again. Well, I think entrepreneurs are inherently optimists, <laughs> don't you think? Like, who would start a business otherwise? <laughs> that's right. And, and that's, a, that's a really, really important characteristic for anybody to have. But ultimately, it really can be your undoing because if you, for whatever circumstances, cannot weather the downturn in your business, be it financial health or a number of other reasons, uh, you know, personal relationships. If you're unable to weather the, the the down cycle in the business, and also be capable of building, you know, new systems and products or whatever you need to to bring your business back to its full form of glory or greater, uh, then you really can be in a world of trouble. And this is the other thing about so many business owners is their owner operators. You know, their business is their is their biggest asset in a lot of cases. What their business is worth is not tangible cash in their pocket at the moment. And a lot of them aren't putting aside superannuation. They're not putting aside certain you know, investment strategies for retirement. And so when the business hits a downturn, they can really be in a lot of, you know, they can really be in some serious trouble. So, and this really speaks to, you know, the need for business owners to almost act in a way that's counterintuitive. But back to, I guess, how this turned out for me is, I did hit that downturn and I didn't put enough cash investments, savings aside at the time, uh, and I couldn't weather the downturn any longer. I ended up taking the business to market eventually after around four years of a downwards trend. And I ended up selling the business for less than a quarter of the highest offer that I received just four years earlier. If I would have sold just after two years, I would have doubled my money. In the end, I ended up selling for half of what I initially paid for it and also wearing uh, negative cash flow for a year for my last year and a half of trade. So that was certainly a real hole. And there was one big lesson in that. And that was there's a right time to sell. And if you don't hit that right time, the level of uncertainty can really hurt you. But it can be very hard. As you started the story, you know, obviously you didn't take the offers. And, and you said you were just sort of interested in price. But I, I guess people quite often are interested in price with, you know, in the back of their mind, well, you know, if I get a killer deal, I might take it. But it's so rare to hear of a business owner who hits the market business owners I'm talking that haven't done extensive work previously in terms of understanding valuations, but who hits the market and goes, oh yeah, that's, you know, that's what I think, you know, what the market is telling me is what I think my business is worth, right? All business owners, almost all business owners have a highly inflated view of what they think the business must be worth to someone else. And so, so this is the age old issue. You know, you, you heard these offers, you're, you're like, well, no, I'm, I'm I mean, growth, no, we've got so much more in the tank. We can really belt this and, and, you know, we'll end up with double or triple or whatever. But how do you identify the right time? Looking at it now rather than the benefit of hindsight. Look, one of the great places to start is, is actually your own intuition. And if, if you have the, the consciousness to recognize your own intuition, that's actually a really good place to start. And what I mean by that is when it feels the most counterproductive and the most unnatural to think about selling, that's probably when you, when you should start looking. <laughs> very difficult for a business owner to do. And, and, and I, I, you know, I was the victim of, of my own mistakes in that area, as, as I've mentioned. But, uh, but if you look at it from a technical perspective, buyers want two or three things in general. The two, well, they want a lot more, but the two or main, three main things they want in general is they want a business, number one, that's performing well. They want a business, number two, they can add value to. And they want a business, number three, that has got some growth ahead of it. 
you're not that many buyers want to buy the perfect business because all they see is potential downside. So if you then take the, the three most common desires that a buyer has and apply that technically to your own business, that will translate into a business that is trending upwards. And this is this also speaks to the mindset of the business owner, mm. which is it feels counterproductive to sell yeah. trading upwards because you but what you'll find is that you're actually, as a seller, you're at, you can actually build in some of that potential growth into the sale price. So you can actually probably achieve the, what you would consider a, a higher market value by factoring in some of that growth. One of the other really key things that a buyer will be looking for is, is how can they add value? And that, that directly translates from a technical perspective into what is the current owner's role in the business? And if that current owner is extremely good at their job, or is working longer than regular hours, it's pretty difficult for another buyer or for a third-party buyer to come in cold and feel like that can add value. Mm. Unless there is, unless that business owner is doing things that are just terribly wrong and big no-nos and, and generally and really not good operators, which is rarely the case when the business is trending upwards. Then the second thing is the, the, the third thing is growth. A- accountants will look at the historical performance of the business in terms of, you know, in terms of reconciling numbers and, and making sure that the, the financial credibility of the business is, is, is accurate or is as was presented. But really what a buyer is looking at is how, is, how does the next three years look? And, and this is when a buyer should, is going to look at things like the, the risk in the business and, and looking at things such as uh, customer concentration, uh, supplier relationships, uh, and and generally the ecosystem of the business, is there anything that stands out as being non-transferable or is going to prevent future growth for a third-party owner? So quite often, all of those metrics are the most favourable when the business has is growing, not mm. when the business has flattened, and certainly not when the business is now downtrending. And so when, when you have people come to you who say, I want to sell my business, what is the process that, that run through? Or is there a process that you run through where you consider this element of timing with them or for them? Yes. Look, th- there's a very, you know, that's a really great question. And this is, this is perhaps the biggest, I wouldn't say flaw in our industry, but it is something that is actually really, really important for for sellers to understand, there is no one hard and fast process. You know, you can put together a five-page questionnaire or a hundred-page questionnaire. At the end of the day, the best place to start is the is at the meeting between the broker or the advisor and the seller. There really needs to be a you, you, you know you're about to work together for six months. You're about to be business partners, mm. and you're about to put a lot of energy and time without any payment and, mm. and without remuneration both ways, the remuneration for the, for the seller is they get a great sale price. The best place to start is, hey, do we like each other? Mm. <laughs> and probably a lot of people skip that step and realize later on down the process. I refer to questionnaires. You know, you can have a short questionnaire or a long questionnaire, but every business is different. The level of information in every business is different. The metrics that make up the business, such as risk profiles, are always different. And so a broker really needs to tailor their approach to each business. And there's no hard, fast questionnaire that is going to cover really what's necessary. Uh, so when it comes to a broker taking that type of approach and tailoring 
extrapolating the right information from the from the business owner. A broker with the right experience is going to be able to do that probably a lot better than someone who's working off a questionnaire. But does this concept of timing come up in those questions? So, so you know, whether you're using a questionnaire or not, do sellers come to you and say, you know, I'm thinking of selling a business, is now the right time? You know, and how do you deal with that question when it yeah. comes up? Part of what's behind this question is I feel that it's really hard in this industry, the way um, brokers and corporate advisors quite often are remunerated. It links so strongly to quite often to because you're paid on success, you know, and, and you're paid, but, but also these deals take a long time and, and it's hard to get, you, you know, vendors in the door and that's what your whole business is. You know, you've got no business if you've got no vendors, right? So, so it's very, I can see that, you know, the, the, the way the remuneration model works really incentivizes brokers to say, well, it's always the right time now. <laughs> if you've come in, it's the right time. Do you know what I mean? But of course, that makes it harder for you if, if, it's, if it's a hard business to sell. But I'm just interested in your thoughts on it, your approach. Yeah, Joanna, you know, I'm really pleased that I guess you highlighted that because it is such an unfortunate approach that perhaps the majority of our industry do take mm. of the way that we're remunerated. And, and especially with brokers who are, who are one or two years into the industry, they will do anything to, to get listings. But you need to have, as a broker, the foresight to say, actually, how sellable is this business? Because the other side of that is if you, don't, if you take a business to market that is not ready to be taken to market, the likelihood of selling it is very low. Yeah. So you end up doing months and months and months of work for free. And it's so tempting to take a business to market, even if you may even think you can sell it. And occasionally, every broker will make that type of mistake. The question of a vendor, I mentioned a stat to you before, which is around 80% of inquiries from vendors are when they they need to sell or they want to sell for for whatever reason, not that they're actually ready to sell. Around 20% of our clients will come to us and say, we're looking at selling in 12 months. What do we need to do? And and that I know is a client that mm. we're going to have a really, really great time and experience with and probably get mm. a really good result for. Um, for, the, for the other, let's call it the odd 80% or so, there's always a grooming stage before we need to take the business to market. And as I said before, that will vary for each business. But the, the underlying question of what if they're not ready and they need to make some changes in their business and, and speak again with us in, a, in another six months, that's a really important step for a broker to, first of all, identify and also then be transparent about that message back to the, the seller. Mm. And broker is shooting themselves and the seller in their foot and potentially harming their reputation if they try to take the business to market prematurely. Mm. And, and, and perhaps that is the source for, for perhaps some of the less favourable sorts of reputations that can be in our industry. Okay, great, Dan. Before we round up our conversation, in the past, we've had some discussions about accountants and how accountants work in terms of due diligence. And I'd just like to touch on some of these items here that we've discussed in the past. Can you just talk about some of your ideas and some of the issues that you've seen, I guess, happen um, in deals at the due diligence phase that you think are worthwhile 
you know, mentioning for the uh, usefulness of any of our accountants out there who are listening in. <laughs> Look, I, I think the when we're talking about due diligence, I, I'd like to I'd like to highlight the two key things, and I've certainly come across a lot of accountants acting on behalf of the buyer, who. Uh, and so I guess this message perhaps is a little bit for them, but it's also for buyers to make sure that your accountant is taking uh, the approach that suits you and that also suits the business. But the two key things that I, that I believe due diligence consists of is financial credibility, which is effectively crunching the numbers of the historical financial information they've been provided and making sure that there aren't any major material discrepancies. The second thing is risk. And risk really speaks to the next three or four or five years that the business is operating. And in my experience there, and I have worked with and seen and observed a, quite a lot of accountants, really only do a financial due diligence historically. That, in a sense, I think only paints half the picture in the context of the new purchase, purchases' interests and their ability to run the business. The risk is a really, really big one in my view because with a change of ownership, there are always going to be some changes to how the, you know, the business will never be the same again. It may be better, it may be worse. The risk is about forming an opinion on the future maintainable earnings of the business and not just using the historical numbers in order to do that. But the big things here are, are customer analysis. What, and, and the two elements of customer analysis are, what is the customer concentration? Is there any risk of those customers leaving or changing their ordering habits in the future? And also, what is the payment history of those customers? The payment history is really, really important because that in a lot of ways will define the working capital the purchaser may need on top of the sale price. Mm. The next thing, and this is a really important one that a lot of people overlook, and this is the supplier analysis. In a lot of instances, you have a, a vendor who's selling their business that has relationships with suppliers that could be decades old. And those suppliers may be offering favorable terms of some sort, whether they're financial terms, whether they're uh, uh, you know, discounted products, uh, whether they're more favorable payment terms. And if those aren't renewed under new ownership, that can cause immense changes to the profitability of the business and the cash, the working cash flow of the business. Mm. And then the next big thing, and this is probably the most common thing that accountants overlook, in my experience anyway, is the compliance analysis. What levels of permits, licensing, and or statutory authorities are, are overseeing the business and are needed to operate the business? And quite often, there are licenses that may not necessarily be needed now in the business, but may be needed you know, in the near future. Quite often, there are licenses that are, are difficult to transfer. And those elements are things that, that really define the forward risk of the business and really are, are important things for any purchaser to, to consider. Brilliant. I absolutely love it. And implicitly in what you're talking about here, this particular element from a buy side perspective, of course, it's relevant to the sell side in that these are the things that really you should be working through and thinking about to put yourself in the buyer's 
seat so that you're armed with answers. And of course, if you're not armed with answers or if the answers indicate holes in your business, then once again, pointing back to the big benefit in spending a bit of time prepping the business for sale and changing some of these things so that when you hit the market and receive those questions, um, should you be met with a buyer with advisors who are asking the right questions, <laughs> then you've got the, the right answers uh, for them at the point. Yeah, a- absolutely. And there's one thing that I always say to my client, you know, when we're talking about the sell side and how this translates into their sorts of preparation they should be doing, when I have a meeting with a new prospective client, I always tell them one thing, and that is that the buyer is going to be naturally looking at your business from a complete sense of caution and that is going to mean that they're going to ask questions. Now, we can either have information ready or we can let them start asking questions. But if they ask one question, they're probably going to ask 10 more. So let's just make sure that we've got the information ready to go. Let's present it to them in anticipation of the questions that they're probably going to ask. Brilliant. On the back foot and you're not having to go back uh, 10 times, get information. And every time that buyer is asking information and that we're not giving it to them in a timely way, we just lose bit by bit a little bit of credibility. You are so right. We've got a deal going on at the moment. I'm just thinking of this because um, I saw an email come through just before we got onto recording. And we're acting for the buyer or the potential buyer and this due diligence phase has turned what was a concrete buyer into now a potential buyer. So they, they've managed to move the needle away. And, and I actually think this deal will fall through all because of due diligence delays because even though there's some issues in the business, this is always known from the outset, but the real delay in getting information and then the quality of the display of information when it came through really just gives everyone a reason for stepping back and saying, now hold on, let's really start to evaluate this with an even finer tooth comb now because we can see that there's we can see that there's problems in terms of the owner's ability to get their hands on key financial information. But I think sophisticated buyers will, in many instances, be concerned that business owners, if they're slow in returning information, it tends to indicate that they haven't had their finger on the pulse on the business as a whole as it's been running as well. So you are just so correct that you know this is playing out at the second <laughs> in my email box. <laughs> <laughs> That's a really challenging position for the facilitators to be in. And tactically, and I'm probably, I certainly don't envy you, Joanna, having to, having to deal with that. But, you know, tactically, it's a good, it's a, it's a thought provoking question to ask is what role is the broker playing at the moment? Because in a sense, when you have the purchaser now starting to detract and lose confidence, a broker's natural approach is probably going to be to defend his client, the vendor. In actual fact, Sometimes it can be better for the broker to start to distance themselves from the vendor a little bit, preserving a more powerful relationship with the buyer. It'd be interesting to see how, uh, you know, how, because that's a really challenging position for a broker to be in. And the broker has probably asked for that information several times or perhaps um, tried to assist the buyer 
you know, before taking the business to market in, in guiding them in terms of what they need to be. Well, in this particular case, this this one that I'm talking about right now, there actually isn't a broker. So, you know what, he is singing the reasons for why there's benefits of having a broker on board that's helping the vendors, yeah. you, you know. with and, and, and in this instance, it was a buyer approach, but... The I, I think even in those situations, there's real benefits for vendors in going and getting themselves armed with a bit of assistance before they really start to enter into detailed discussions with buyers, even if they're approached. Uh, because in this instance, the um, the vendor's lack of knowledge is giving their business holes away very quickly. <laughs> Oh, wow. I mean, that is a really, really tough position for the vendor to be in as well because the vendor is there thinking to themselves, why are they asking me these questions? Why yeah. they just, and, and that's a natural thing for a vendor to, to think and feel. And the buyer is thinking, why can't I get information? What, what is there to hide? <laughs> you, know, yeah. you know, I won't harp on about the, the benefits of using a broker in, a, in, a, in, a trans, in any, any sort of transaction other than to say, You've got two parties who have are emotionally driven just by nature because they're the buyer and they're the seller. You know, you're acting as the lawyer. Part of your best interest is to sell the business for your client, but but also protect your client at the same time. So you're in a difficult position too, I'd imagine. Mm. And the broker is in the middle to try to keep and manage all parties' emotions and keep everyone in check. That's ninety, probably ninety percent of our job is mm. just managing expectations and keeping smiles on faces because. Yeah. And, and as soon as people turn into the defensive, and from the sounds of it, probably both parties in, in the circumstance you're talking about are probably on the defensive, that affects your rationale and how you make decisions, which, mm. which, which in a lot of cases um, will be the, the end of deals. Mm. And, and but it isn't for this one. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, but just to be clear, we actually act for the buyer in this instance because if we acted for the vendor, the vendor wouldn't be in this problem because they would have been well prepared <laughs> for the questions. <laughs> <laughs> but we, um, you know, so I guess here I've been talking about you from the buy side. Immediately, we know a lot about the business even before we've seen the information we've requested, just by the way in which the uh, the requests yeah, have been dealt yeah. with. You know, yeah. um, and you, you know, I mean, that's the thing when people are in the industry and, and they know, you know, there's so much that you can read into everything. When you know, there's poor hapless vendors that maybe. They haven't taken the right advice along the way. Just don't even realise how much they're revealing by not revealing things. They think, yeah, you know. yeah, yeah, that's right. But uh, but look, well, look, I, I wish you just good luck with it, Joe. <laughs> I think that I think the writing's on the wall with this one. But uh, <laughs> look, Dan, I, I just want to say a very big thank you uh, for you coming in today. I tell you what, we we initially we're going to talk about timing in a sale, but boy, we have talked about a lot more than that. It's been a really interesting discussion. But maybe if you can um, just give our listeners um, a, a bit of a roundup, if there's anything else that you want to leave them with as some parting thoughts and and definitely how to get in contact with you. Absolutely. One of the best things that a business owner can do is, and most most firms will do this for free or very little cost. And we certainly offer this for, for any business owner who's willing to do so. And it is a health check of their business or a business review or an appraisal, whatever you want to call it. Give a broker a call if you operate a business of any kind once a year and say, how's my business tracking in the market today? You don't really need to ask how's the market going. The market is a broader sense of 
how people, uh, you know, how the economy is going or how people are buying businesses. But what is your business worth in the business? And have a broker do a detailed review. And as I said, we do these free, no problem at all. They'll take around, they take a few hours spaced over a couple of weeks so that we don't disrupt the vendor and they've got time to gather their information. But we give them indications on the areas of their business that may not be reviewed favorably in the market. And we also give them a guideline to say your business is probably tracking up or it's flattening or it's declining, which they'll inherently know anyway. But at least I'll be able to measure for them and say, now's a great time to sell or go and back and make these changes and look at selling in three or four or five years. It's even useful for them just to know roughly what is the cash asset they're sitting on. Because again, it is part of their retirement. It could be part of their bigger picture. They may be really relying on that business to fund their future. So it's always useful for a business owner to know what cash is sitting in their business if they were to sell. And people forget that your business, it's your biggest liability because so much more than can go, can go wrong than selling a home or, or any of your other assets. Mm. But, so I'd probably leave any listeners with that thought is never be afraid to spend a few hours with a broker, even if you don't have the intention of selling, just to understand what your business might be worth in the market and what inherent issues that you may not realise may be in your business. All right. Well, how can our listeners contact you, Dan? So they can shoot us an email. My personal email is dan at vbaaustralia.com.au. Uh, our website is uh, vbaaustralia.com.au. We also have an info line, which is info at vbaaustralia.com.au. And, and of course, anyone can just give me a ring on the mobile, 0450 326 146. Uh, and I'll be happy to have uh, any any informal discussion with uh, with uh, any business owners. Brilliant, wonderful. Um, thank you so much, Dan, for coming on to the show today. And in the future, I'd really love to have you back to talk about some marketing stuff, which is a little bit different to what I usually talk about, but I actually harbour a love of marketing, anything marketing, and I think you do too. So I want to talk about this because I think it'll be interesting to talk about this in the industry, but I'll let you go now. Anyone who's missed those details because you're running on the beach or on your daily commute, all you have to do is click into the show notes. No, not while you're driving, when you finish driving, when you get to the office, click into the show notes and you'll be able to click through to Dan. Dan, thank you so much. Thanks so much for having me, Joanna. Well, that's it for our discussion today with Dan Levitus from Vision Brokers and Advisors. If you'd like to contact Dan at Vision Brokers and Advisors, then you can contact him via his website or email or phone number, and you'll find links to all of those in our show notes and over on our website at www.thedealroompodcast.com. At that website, you'll also find details of how to contact our lawyers at Aspect Legal. If you or your clients would like to discuss any legal aspects of sales or acquisitions, we do a lot of work with businesses, both in buy mode and sell mode, and in helping prepare businesses as they head into buying or selling a business in order for them to really ensure that they're dealing with processes like due diligence and the transaction 
and documentation phase in the right way. In this episode, you will have heard Dan and I make reference to some of the mistakes that sellers can make in the due diligence process in terms of just not being ready and not being armed and not dealing with the buyer's advisors in the right way. And by the same token, I think it's really important that on the buy side, you're dealing with advisors who know what they're doing because once again, they're able to read the situation, sometimes in a lot more detail than just the information that's being provided. Well, anyway, I'm probably preaching to the converted here, but uh, it's useful sometimes, I think, to rehash some of these areas that seem pretty obvious to us in the industry. But look, thanks again for listening into the Deal Room podcast. I hope you enjoyed the content that you've heard today. And look, I'm always on the lookout for what sort of content you, our listeners, really want to hear. So I'm making a bit of a passionate plea to you today. Could you please send us an email, send an email to podcasts at aspectlegal.com.au and in that email, can you please tell us what content you would like to hear? Do you like to hear tips and tricks in the industry? Do you like to hear about some of the legal areas? Should we talk more about those? Or do you really like to hear case studies of business owners who have bought and sold? Or something else? If you can tell us the topics that you're interested in, we can meet you where you are and deliver the content that you're interested in. That's it. I hope you enjoyed this episode and thank you again for listening in. You've been listening to Joanna Oki and the Deal Room Podcast, a podcast proudly brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. See you next time. Aspect Legal has a number of great services that help businesses prepare for a sale or acquisition to help them prepare in advance and to get transaction ready. We've also got a range of services to help guide businesses through the sale and acquisitions process. We work with clients both big and small and have different types of services depending on size and complexity. We provide a free consultation to discuss your proposed sale or acquisition. So see our show notes on how to book a time to speak with us or head over to our website at aspectlegal.com. Ladies and gentlemen, that will conclude this evening's entertainment. Thanks for listening to the Deal Room Podcast. To find out more about this episode and other episodes in the series, check out the show notes or head over to our website at thedealroompodcast.com.au. 